Girl, you the big. And she love me when I'm in it. And she never be pretending. Nothing is real. She gon' tell you what she bought it. Cause she know you can't afford it. No, you can get it. Looking exquisite. No competition. Stay on the pivot. Who be watching? They be plotting. She's so motherfucking independent. Mama be big. Got on her grind. She had to get a her. Hello, welcome. This is the E Spot with Camille. I am your host, Camille Cower. And I am so excited for you to meet my guest today. He is the one, the only Chris Goddard, <laughs> who you recently saw on Design Stars as one of the top finalists. So we're very excited to have a winner here, which he's, it was a winner way before Design Stars. That was only on a national, no, not even the only one on a national level, because you've won tons of awards on a national level. National awards, yeah. Yeah. So Chris, tell everyone how you got your start in design world, coming in design well, it's been a long, Fun journey. I actually live in Northwest Arkansas, but I work all over the globe, which it's fun to travel because people are always like, wait, you're from Arkansas and you're here, you're there. Um, this year I'm up for International Interior Designer of the Year, which is kind of a big deal. So I'm Congratulations. going to for that, which is exciting. And I was just named one of the top 100 designers in the world. So that was amazing. So being from Arkansas, it always throws people for a loop. Um, but I started design probably as a kid. I've always been super passionate about my surroundings and my interiors. And as a kid, I grew up in a very modern house um, and everything was built in. So all I could really move around were like posters and art and accessories. So I was constantly moving things around, making my mom nuts when she'd come home. Um, so she knew she had a creative kid on her hands. So uh, when I went to school, um, interior design was in the home ec department, which was, you know, it was the 80s. I know I don't look as old as I am. Wish, but, uh, so in the 80s. I'll never age you yeah, and yeah. definitely want to age myself. No, no, no. no. So um, I went to school and I got a business degree as well as a creative uh, design degree because most creatives can't manage their finances because all my creative friends didn't know how to take care of money or run a business. Um, so, a lot of times it's one of those things you're kind of pigeonholed into one or the other, like you can't be right. one or the other. And those scars, that's something I was just talking to another guest, like sometimes those scars stay with you. So you think you can't do both. And so I love that you do do both or that you at least went to school for both. Well, I grew up in a really creative family and had an uncle yeah. who was a very famous florist. And he was like, if you do anything, get a business degree because all my friends don't know how to manage money. And that's the downfall of all creatives because we get caught up in this world of beauty and this and that. But at the end of the day, it's a business like anything. Um, and it's kind of hard to remember because you're dealing with people's money, their homes, their everything. So you've got to, and you're managing a staff, a team. I mean, I have six designers on my team and work rooms and, you know, you've got this whole world you're running and that involves money and business. Um, and this is my 35th year doing interiors, which is a long time. And I, you know, I count part of that in being a business person and knowing how to, to manage money, projects, time. And God knows I've screwed up probably more than I've been successful, but I always say at the end of the world, it'll be me and Cher and cockroaches because I keep reinventing myself. I'm glad Cher will still be there, but the cockroaches? <laughs> well, you know, I think it stands the test of time and never goes away. Yeah, so, that's true, yeah. And survive. And I think being <sighs> successful is about survival and knowing when to pivot and change and evolve. And, you know, my big mantra is if you're doing today what you were doing three years ago, you're doing something wrong. So mm -hmm. at any field, as you know, you have to constantly change yourself, the way you think, the way you do business, the way you look at the world. Um, so I'm big on change and growth, and which is how I ended up on television. But that was my short story on my long 35-year career in interior design. Um, but no, it's well, been an amazing journey. I have a million questions for you. So <laughs> let's start with growing up in Arkansas. Because even I was like, wait, he's out of Springdale, Arkansas? How in the world did you get on an international Plage, I mean, stage from Arkansas. Like so many people feel limited by their location or don't think to grow outside of their hometown or wherever they may be. So Here's give some tips on how to get out and still be able to stay in your own hometown in that sense. The fun thing about this is when you're young, I look back mm -hmm. and part of, we'll get to while I was on TV, but you're not afraid of anything. So you have no fear, which is the best part of being young. You probably did that early in your career. You weren't afraid of anything. And when I was young in my twenties, I had no fear. And I was fortunate that um, when I, right when I graduated, I got an amazing job 
um, with a very important client and they hired me to a nine year contract. So I only worked for one family for nine years and I did their homes, planes, boats, uh, corporate headquarters. I traveled the world with this family in my twenties doing all of their major corporate and private um, residences all over the world. So it kind of gave me a foot in really early. And my first project when I was 20, that got me this gig, I did their home. And this was back in the day when we would send transparencies to magazines, which were slides. It was before the internet, before, you know, a digital camera. So we did everything old school. So I did a box of slides, sent them to Architectural Digest at 21. Again, no fear. Uh, <laughs> I, thought, What's I the love it. I was like, well, it works good enough. We'll see. Um, yeah. I got them and I got a call. And my first project at 21 was to be featured in Architectural Digest. I was the youngest person to this date ever to have my work published. And from then it went on to every, I've been in every national and international magazine in the world. Um, and a lot of that was from my youth of just not being afraid to, you know, knock on doors. I mean, you know, nobody's going to listen to you unless you put yourself out there. Mm -hmm. And I think for most of us, the hardest part is putting ourselves out there. Um, and that's been the biggest journey for me is when I was young, I was, you know, you show up. I mean, I'd show up to a phone book opening. I mean, you just have to go to everything and put yeah. yourself out there and not be afraid to introduce yourself, get involved. Um, so my career kind of really took off. And I got, after nine years, um, as happens in all big families, there's divorce, death, et cetera. So I still work for that family, but my contract was up. So I started working for other big families and traveling the world um, through those connections and built a pretty successful large firm that's been able to maintain for, well, like, this is going on my 35th year, which is mind boggling to me that I've been able to do this so long, but most of my work because of who I work for, it's called NDAs where nobody sees it because they want to keep it private, which my ego part of me is like Tinkerbell, you know, if you're not applauding, I'm going to die. So as a, as a creative, it is, yeah. <laughs> it's a little hard because there's an ego part of us that I want yeah. the world to see what we're working on. But there's also the business mind that's like, hey, I've got a good gig. We're not going to rock the boat. So, right. so recently, a lot of my work, other than in some major magazines and awards and things, hasn't been out there. So my key is at 50 something right now. I'm putting myself out there again because I'm, you know, that part of me that wanted the recognition and all that is finally like, okay, it's my time. So let's do this. Yeah. And and I was going to say, I had like the flip of that, of what you were saying. Uh, youth not having fear. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say so much that I didn't have fear, but I felt because of my profession, I had to stay a certain way because I was a model and actress. I couldn't rock the boat. I couldn't tell my po political affiliation or anything because you didn't want to miss out on jobs or, and now because I work for myself, well, because of the pandemic, <laughs> I was working for myself and just felt like I was talking to so many friends that we would just go there that it just felt, well, forget it. I'll just say whatever I want from here on out. And if you love me, you love me. If you don't, you don't. And putting my, like you said, I'll go to the opening of anything just because yeah. you meet so many great people that you never know what opportunities can come from that. And I love that you were talking about how you've had this 35 year career and you just keep reinventing yourself and pivoting. And I'm wondering what have been some of the things that you've done during the pandemic or even I guess after the pandemic that you're going to keep that those, some of those pivots, you're like, Ooh, I'm going to keep this one. My philosophy from being my whole philosophy growing up and during my career, mm -hmm. if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up too much space. And mm -hmm. you know, if you're not like we're talking about putting yourself out, write that one down. All you know, right. That's key. Um, <laughs> the Tinkerbell one and that one. <laughs> yeah, you're on the edge, you're taking up too much space. Yeah. Um, but it's really true. If you don't, constantly push yourself outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. I always hear people, oh, I'd love to win the lottery. And I'm like, well, you hadn't bought a ticket. You know, it's kind of that whole deal is if you don't try it, you don't know. And mm -hmm. I've tried a zillion different things. I've had projects that have been wonderful. I've had ones that have not been so wonderful. I mean, that's how you learn. Um, I always say rock bottom. I've hit it so many times. I've started putting dashes instead of my name. You know how you sign it. So, you know, you learn and you grow from your mistakes and you become better. And I think my personal trait is, is that I take all the things that I've done wrong and done right and kind of 
process those into, hey, let's not make old mistakes. Let's make new mistakes. Let's, you know, in the pandemic was, we get back to that question is, is that during the pandemic, we learned that a lot of the things we were doing weren't necessary and weren't, it kind of helped us trim the fat and learn what was important, what wasn't, who was important in our lives, what was working, what wasn't working. Yeah. And it kind of made us all take a step back and take a breath because much like you, we go 24 seven and we lose sight of why we chose to do what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, and gave me pause and my team started working from home and it was just me and the office manager in the office. And I really began to think, why am I doing this? What am I getting out of it? You know, success, it's different for everybody. And what we thought was important to us four or five years ago, we learned it. You know, I think we all go through in our youth, oh, we need this and this to be cool. We've got to have this car, this hat, you know, all that stuff doesn't really matter. We, I've learned to put aside, though I do sell materialism and don't get me wrong, don't get it twisted. I want everybody to have nice stuff. But the, my whole brand is built, built on what you buy and how you live needs to have meaning and tell the story of your life. Um, and it's all about the narrative of your story, not my story. And I think part of my success is that I don't do the same thing twice. I don't use the same piece of fabric twice, the same piece of furniture twice. There's no repetition. Um, because I don't want you to have what your best friend has or somebody else has, because it's about you, the client, not about me or your friend. And it's the hardest thing for people not to be sheep. Um, We tend to want to follow trends, and I preach anti-trend, because why do you want what everybody else has? The biggest compliment I get as a designer is when somebody comes in, they're like, this looks just like you, Camille. It should look never like I was there, because you want your friends to come in, and your home is a reflection of you. And my job is to kind of guide you down that path to find the real you and how you want to live. And during the pandemic, people were spending more time at home and it wasn't just a place to crash. So they were realizing how important their surroundings were and the effect that your color, comfort, how it affects your mood. I mean, if you think about it, when you travel, your best memories are of beautiful places and the places involved layers of texture, the environment, the mood, the colors, the people you were with. So. I think the pandemic taught all of us that our homes needed to be our favorite places instead of where we would go. So the design business boomed during that time, but it also made me as a business person and as just a human kind of reflect on how can I make people's homes even more comfortable, more luxurious and make that kind of accessible. Yeah. You notice I'll keep talking, so you just have to tell me. No, you're great. I mean, the more information you give me, the better for me and for the audience. <laughs> That's it. I could talk forever about this stuff, so I tend to ramble, so reel me in whenever. <laughs> no worries. I'll try my best, but at the same time, I love hearing people talk. That's why I do <laughs> so, It'll be hard for me to stop you, especially if it's a great story. So, like, when you were talking about your team, I wonder how you go about hiring people, because it sounds like you have such a great thing going. Like, how are you able to start feeling like you could loosen those reins some? Because I think that's the hardest part sometimes of being a creative or even working as an interior designer is making sure your vision is still your vision, even if you have other people doing other parts or um, I'm a major, like most creatives and most Mm -hmm. people, a control freak. (laughs) And so learning to let go is the hardest part for me. But that's why I asked. Uh, I'm raised by an artist. So, so um, but yeah. you learn to realize that you can't do it all by yourself. And when I was younger in my 20s, I tried to do it all by myself. And again, learning lesson things fall through the cracks. So, I had a really wonderful client who told me always surround yourself with the smartest and the best that you can afford at that time and find people that fill in your weaknesses. And it's kind of hard to look at ourselves and realize, oh, well, I really suck at this. I'm good at this. I mean, I'm the key. I can, I suck at relationships. I was married to a woman 10 years, a man 10 years. I know I suck at relationships. I'm great at design. You tried both. <laughs> tried you, both. you know, you definitely gave both a try in that I'm sense. Always, I always tell people, hey, I can die. If you want relationship advice, not me. If you want a beautiful room, I'm your guy. So <laughs> find your lane. I mean, Kevin Hart does this wonderful thing about staying in your lane. And it took me until I was in my 40s to realize what my lane was and also to realize where my holes and my weaknesses were. So mm-hmm. I started finding the best at those people to help me out with that. And then it's building trust. And I don't ask anybody to do anything I won't do myself. I still drive U-Hauls. I unload trucks. I work in our warehouses. Because once you lose sight of all the small parts and not pitch in, 
then you lose sight of your business. So I always tell young entrepreneurs and young designers that always be the one that's helping unpack boxes, loading, unload, you know, it's all part of the package. It's just not fancy dinners and picking out colors. I mean, there's a lot that goes into it. And I still have my hand in every little bit just because I remember Oprah saying that she always signed her all of her checks. And that kind of stuck with me because she knew where all the money was going because she didn't want to lose sight of her finances and let someone else have control. But somebody wrote the checks, but she still signed all of them so that she could see where every dollar was going. And that was, I don't know, 20 something years ago. I heard her say that. So I'm kind of the same way. I wonder if she still does that. Cause she's huge. Like she's got a huge company. I'm like starting to think like all the actors she has to sign checks for. <laughs> that was her key of keeping up with, but so she let everybody else have the control of managing the finances. But at the end of yeah. the day, she still was part of it. So that was kind of, I took a listen to what other people say a lot because that's how you learn. You have to always yeah. be open. And my deal was, is that, hey, I'm going to let everybody else do everything. But at the end of the day, I'm still going to check it because my name is on the door. It's my, you know, I've built the business. And as we know, nobody's forever. And so people come and go, relationships come and go, clients come and go, and you have to constantly be able to pivot. So if you lose touch of one little aspect of your business and somebody leaves, then you've got to be able to train somebody else. So I have learned to really let go, but I still stay involved. Um, I don't want to be in some ivory tower where the people that work with me can't come ask the questions. I mean, I think, you know, that's probably just the way I was raised is that, you know, uh, the, before this, I was actually out in my warehouse unpacking boxes, making sure an order was right, which is why I look super glamorous right now. But I mean, <laughs> you're made for TV. <laughs> what is the saying? If you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. Right. So you st I would never know the difference. So <laughs> it all looks, you, you look great. Oh, your hair is amazing. So you're lucky you have naturally curly hair, I guess, or wavy. Yeah, that's really big. Kind yeah. of football helmet now, like steel magnolias, but I'm in. Um, so. <laughs> You've literally quoting all my favorite things: steel magnolias, Tinkerbell, and Oprah. Keep going. <laughs> oh, and a little Kevin Hart there too, because I'm like, oh, Jumanji. Well, you know, I just always like to listen, and that's yeah. That's as you know, it's the key to success. When mm -hmm. people tell you something didn't work for them, I always think, oh, you know, I'd like to take that in. You know, I'm, I could talk to a fence post because I always like to know what's going on, how people were successful, how they aren't, and in the creative world, I found that so many people don't like to share information and I'm an overshare because people are afraid, oh my God, they're going to steal my thunder, take my clients or my business. And, you know, I'm always asking and a lot of people don't want to share and I'm an overshare. And I'm right there with you. I'm an overshare. If I can't help other people, I'm not helping myself. And coming up as a young designer and a young professional, I, I remember to this day, I still see people that weren't helpful and they're not as successful because they didn't share information or share knowledge. And that's just how we become better people. Well, I, um, I was in an interview earlier today and that was my main thing about why I love working with design and designers is because they are a lot of the designers I've met anyway, they're very collaborative and they work together. And if they can't do it, they can suggest someone that can, or it's just free flowing of information, but also they really genuinely want to help each other to right. do their best, whatever it may be. Because it, one thing I learned from working in the spa industry, even in order to make your profession professional for people to respect it. I was an esthetician and a spa director. You all have to be at the same level. So if there's someone else working with you, who's not as good as you, it's your job to get them there yeah. or find, tell them they might need to try something else. Maybe they're a front desk person or a masseuse or a nail tech, you know, like find a different profession that works best for you. But it's important to have that nurturing relationship at work because it, it's only going to make it better. Like as long as we're all working together and just really doing the best for clients, the customer, they're going to keep pre, you know, they're going to keep telling people, Oh, you got to get a designer. Oh, you, you know, it, right. it doesn't matter whether it's, they're saying you got to get Chris or you got to get this person or that person. It brings the entire industry up when it's a consistent well, thing. At the end of the day, there's enough work for everybody and everybody's not the same fit for everybody. I mean, as an actor, you know, that there, uh, there's an, not every person can do the same role. There's enough roles for everybody. There's an, everybody has their niche or their spot. And it's just like, I always talk about finding your lane and, 
you know, you're going back to the way we work together. And, you know, my team is my family. I spend more time with them than I did in any relationship at work. You're with those people the majority of your day. And my number one rule in my office is we have to laugh every day because at the end of the day, we're making things pretty. We're not curing some major, we're not doing anything other than making a space beautiful. So my number one rule is, hey, we have to laugh about this because it's easy to get so in your head. We call it going down the rabbit hole with stress and deadlines. And, you know, we run, 30 to 60 projects a year. So we're big <laughs> and which is a lot of stress and pressure and a lot of high maintenance people. Um, so, you know, I'm always like, we've got to break this up during the day. So I always try and make it fun. So every day at work, there's always laughter and joy because what we're doing is we're making beauty. We're not, you know, and at the end of the day, that's supposed to be joyful and we want it to be mm -hmm. progressive to our clients because if we love what we do, then they're going to feel that. Oh, it's kind of like that whole thing. Never let them see you sweat. You know, something can be horribly going wrong but to my client. I'll be like, oh, everything's going to be fine. You know, you always have to because once you show fear or scared or insecurity, people feed off of that. So if you're always calm and always treat everybody with respect and don't get upset, then it maintains that level. And it's funny to watch and see because when I was young, I used to overreact a lot and be a little too dramatic, probably maybe occasionally still am. But, um, you know, once pe people feed off that energy and I'm a big energy person. So when I go to meetings or with my team, I'm always like, hey, let's approach this from positivity and, you know, what we can do and what we can't instead of what we can't do. I'm a, like a fixer in that way. So you just have to be positive yeah. and people feed off that energy. They really do. And I'm glad you brought up the importance of even having that relationship with the client because, just as much as they're interviewing you, you're interviewing them in the sense to make sure it is a good fit and that, you know, you're not dealing with a client that might have a problem for every solution that you may give to them. Like that's a headache you don't need at the same time. When you start a project, most of them are a year, two years, 10 years, and that's longer than most relationships. God, we've all had that. Most of them don't last a year, six months. I mean, so it's, you're signing up for a relationship. So I always, our first consults, I don't charge for. It's more like a first date. Uh, I go meet with them. They meet with me and we make sure because it's a lot of time together that we can work together. And, you know, I'm some, and I'll be like, you know what? I would love to do this, but so-and-so would be better fit for this. Or yes, I'm all about this. I think we'd make a great couple. Let's do this for a year or two. Because it is a very long process. It doesn't just end. And you're in per people's personal lives. I mean, you're intimately involved with them. I make this joke because I'm going to write a book one day because I've moved so many beds. I know way too much about too many people. <laughs> you know where the bodies are buried. <laughs> you hear all the drama. You're in their homes. You're in their person. You know, you're all up in their business, basically. So, you know, and you become therapist, designer, and it's vice versa. So, Going into these, you have to be really conscious because it is a relationship. I mean, you do have to go on a few first dates to see if it's going to work. I used to never say no to anything. You know, that's part of the no fear. And then that was one of my learning lessons. That sometimes it's okay to say no and pump the brakes and go, hey, this isn't going to work because um, I tend to want everybody to be happy. I always say if I was a drag queen, my name would be Coco Dependent. So... <laughs> I might steal that one too because my best friend's a drag queen and why not steal that one? Drag. Oh, we're Coco dependent. Yeah, it's like the best dad name ever. Um, <laughs> it's kiss of death because I always want all my clients and the people that I work with to be happy. So yeah, the know. older I get, the more I can use that against you, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, some people do. I'm a pleaser. Yeah. So, uh, you know, that's again, learning to say no, learning to have boundaries and all that. There's a lot of bad things that come with age, but one of the good things is the power of no and knowing what you're good at and what you're not and being able to and know your worth and know your worth. And again, yeah. I think the pandemic kind of helped us all do that too and define what made us happy and what brings us joy and what didn't and who didn't, who didn't. So that's just part of it. So I I want to ask about so you got started, you were working with this family for seven, nine years, then another family, seven. When you're working with someone so long, how do you adapt to their life? I mean, I'm sure, like you were saying, divorces, things happen that would make them want to change. But how do you start saying, oh, you know, this wallpaper is starting to get dated. Let's change this out. Or like, how do you even bring up maybe that your perfect design is time for a redo? Well, the big reason people, my whole mantra is called timeless elegance. So I teach people that what you do is you buy quality and you take your time. 
because design is a journey where beautiful rooms don't happen overnight. So working on with these clients over long periods of time, I'm big on let's buy one right thing that you love instead of 10 things just to fill a space. So a lot of these projects, because they were larger, took a lot of time and they're investing in beautiful things. We start layering them over time. And if you invest in quality, it's going to last forever. So I get, yes, you know, my favorite thing are dogs and kids because they throw up and ruin things really fast and need them to be recovered. But good design is about creating things that withstand the test of time. And again, that's that anti-trend thing I talk about a lot. Um, is that you take your time, you invest in quality and you buy things that you love and, you know, don't, it's quality over quantity is what I always push. Um, and a lot of my clients love that. I have clients that I did 20 years ago and they'll be like, I know we need to redo. Why don't you come over and maybe we freshen up some pillows or whatever, but I still love it because it looks like me. And, you know, it's really kind of a kiss of death for business end, but professionally, it means the world to me that they still love what we did and it's withstood the test of time. Now, there are some rooms I look back and I'm like, what the heck was I thinking? <laughs> I, mean, I was desperate for money that week. I don't know. Or something. But, uh, <laughs> or it was an NDA, so well, you don't have to admit to it. <laughs> just tell them I wasn't here. Um, you know, it's being honest with your client, you know, you can, but then people get tired of things, but if you help pick it out in your part of the process, you're going to love it a long time. I'm sure you have things in your home you've had forever that you just look at and they bring joy or they make you happy. And that's what design and beautiful spaces are supposed to do. And there's nothing worse than going in a room and you can't tell who lives there or where they've been or the story of their life. They might be pretty, but they might just be beige, you know? So the deal is, is that you want to go somewhere that tells, the story of the person that lives there. Like yeah, that that's a great behind you. I keep on going, what she got going on behind her? I'm loving that. Oh, thank you. That my so I was raised by an artist and Olivia Gatewood. That's right. her artwork. <laughs> so I totally stole it from her house. It's true wonderful. story. I love the color and it like matches your whole outfit. I'm like, she pulled together a whole look for this. You can never go wrong with yeah. blue, ocean blue. <laughs> Even you have blue on. I'm the pink back there. I'm like, the whole thing is working. <laughs> I've had some help. Yeah, a little bit. A designer helped me with this as well. So, you know. That no, looks great. You can't be, like they said, you don't want to be the smartest person in the room. So I had someone that was better at design than me that helped me come up with my whole office setup. So you knew your lane, you stayed in it. You let somebody that yep. was in that lane handle it. And they did a good job. They did a great job. But so, um, see, flattery does it every time. Makes what? me lose my train of thought. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, but uh, I want to talk about your design stars experience as well to transition oh my gosh. So really quickly to being set decorator <laughs> to being on TV. I guess I kind of pivoted in. <laughs> no, you're but, yeah. Transition right there. Um, so during was the first part of the pandemic and we kept getting this phone call and I thought it was one of my friends or clients playing a joke on me saying, do you want to come be on an HGTV show? And my um, office manager kept, you know, we were like, no, that's a joke. That's a joke. And after the fifth call, she finally Googled them and she was like, oh my God, this is real. You need to call them back. And I was like, yeah. okay, sure. So I called and um, it was the producer from HGTV. And they were like, we would love for you to join the cast of an upcoming show. And I was like, well, it's the pandemic. Can't do much. Going and living in LA for five weeks. Why not? Why not? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds amazing. They can't, mm -hmm. they said, we can't tell you what the name of the show is. We can't tell you what the show is until, you know, you, you know this until you sign on the dotted line. And then you can't tell anybody for, I don't know, it was almost eight months that I had to sit on the secret. Wow. And um, once I signed up, well, we got postponed a few times and then we went out to Palos Verdes to film. And what was so funny is I had to vanish for five weeks and all I could tell people is I was going to California and I'm sure my clients, I was joking when I got back, did y'all think I was in rehab? Because honestly, that was like, who goes to California for five weeks and can't tell anybody why I'm like, I think I'm at passages. So, <laughs> <laughs> wait, what is it back? Uh, here I go, aging myself. It was everybody would always talk about the Betty Ford Clinic. Yes, I even had like a shirt that said "Escape, escape from Betty, Betty Ford, Ford Clinic" because I had no idea what it meant. Right, but and it, now it, looking back, I'm like, oh, I was such a jerk. <laughs> no one better. But needless to say, we. Um, yeah. So I got there and they told me the show, and uh, it was so funny because right before the day that we go, we we're in quarantine. Um, at, in the hotel and they call you and they're like, okay, you have to be in the car in an hour. This, once you get in the car, this becomes real. 
and I'm sure you've had this with your first job of being on camera and everything. It's a little horrifying. And we had, I mean, I didn't know what I'd signed up for. So I was like, okay, you only live once. Where's the trip that never says no? I get in the car and we they take us up the mountain and I get out and, you know, here is an entire team of like four cameramen, a drone, a producer, three sound people, all on top of me when I get out of the car. And I hit that fight or flight moment in our life. And because, you know, I've had no training with television, I'm just a designer doing my thing. And, you know, you've probably done this when the camera and the lights come on, you just got to make it happen. Uh, and mm -hmm. something kicked in in me and I was like, okay, let's do this. And uh, we met the judges and we went through our first challenge and I ended up winning the first challenge, which blew my mind, um, which was amazing. Um, and scary at the same time, because all the reason that I started design I had to do, which was paint, build, fix, reupholster, all the things I taught myself as a young designer that I had kind of tucked away because I don't do a lot that I know how to do it, but I hadn't done it in 20 years. All of that instantly mm. came back to me, which I was amazed. I was like, because they were like, Muscle memory. they were like, here's a box. Here's the wood, here's the paint, go forth and create. And I had that moment of like, what have I done? This is the end of my career. I'm going to look like an idiot on international television. And then I got in my groove and I pulled it off. How? I don't, I, it was a blur, you know, because it's compressed into two days. So you have to. And the adrenaline too yeah, kicks I, in. I lived on adrenaline for five weeks. I mean, it yeah. was. And getting used to, and I always thought it was a joke that, oh, you get used to the camera. So you get used to all of that. I was like, no, you don't. Well, you do, <laughs> which is crazy to me. Because after the first day, I was so in the zone of working and just being my authentic self um, that I just didn't even know they were there. I mean, you become oblivious to the whole situation. I see how people get in trouble on reality TV really easy because you forget. I mean, I would be a great housewife because I have no filter. Uh, <laughs> so housewives of Arkansas, <laughs> if it ever happens. Yeah, I mean, um, but it was the adrenaline kicked and I won the first challenge, which was amazing. And then we had six more and I won several of those and made it to the finale, which was so much fun and so surreal. And just getting to spend five weeks in this design bubble with 200 plus set crew, um, castmates, we all became best friends because we were tested daily for um, Corona. We were all insulated from the rest of the world. It was, you know, all of October and two weeks of November of last year that we filmed in this like perfect little bubble of safety. And, you know, we didn't have our phones. We didn't know what was really going on in the world because from sun up mm -hmm. till you know, midnight, we were working, designing, doing interviews. The hardest thing for me is part of the challenges were social media challenges. And being a wee bit older, I'm not so savvy on, I didn't even know what TikTok was. And we had to make TikToks and Instagram lives and all these things. And I was 25 years older than anybody else on the whole cast, which was very interesting um, because I had been designing longer than most of these and people had been alive, which they gave me a hard time about, which made it fun. But the technology part it was kind of my downfall and which is why in the finale, I had to do this big TikTok thing and I couldn't get the sound to work. And, you know, so technology got me in the end, but um, I did learn at some right. point, uh, you know, maybe, in October, Mercury might've been in retrograde. So who uh, knows? Carmion you know, <laughs> that one deserved to win because she's amazing, yeah. but mm -hmm. it was the technology and I'm like, uh, what the heck? How am I supposed to know how to work TikTok? And, yeah, but now I do. Um, but my whole point of doing that goes back to it ignited my fire and passion for design and putting myself back where I started and stripping away all the BS and all the awards and all the fanciness. I remembered why I did choose my profession. And we talked about that earlier when I said, you know, you have to kind of strip everything away and remember why you chose to do what you're doing. And I remember standing there in the finale going, and that was part of my little talk was, is that this ignited my fire. And now I remember why I became a designer. And since that show, I have been a better designer, more in touch, more creative, that whole fire. I mean, I think every now and then, you know, like I said, you've got to put yourself out there, shake it up and not be afraid. I mean, I, 
you know, we get guarded and that totally stripped away everything. And it really brought me back to where I started and I loved it. So I've been like on fire since I got back with creativity. So it was the best and the most terrifying thing I've ever done in my whole life. It sounds like a really fun summer camp yes, in a way <laughs> where you're only like, like, I guess what mu band camp is like yeah. for <laughs> an American pie. Yeah, <laughs> and it's going to say you're only around other bandmates in yeah. that. And you guys are all kind of competing against not really each other, but yourselves really in that right. sense, showing your best version. They always asked in our little interviews, they were like, Chris, who's your biggest competition? And I'd always say myself because the reality is I was competing against myself and it was harder for me because I don't do the same thing twice. So every room I did was a different style and a different look, you know, with a challenge. Um, and I don't do trends. So that was a little hard. So my room, it was all about the layering and the details, which is hard to tell a story of a lifetime of collecting in a day and a half, but somehow in a, a Wayfair warehouse, because we had one warehouse we had to pull from for everyone. And, you know, they would refurnish and rechange, which was great. So you would have to go in there and pull and design your rooms. And I mean, it was amazing, but creatively, creatively, yeah, something like that. Creatively. Creatively, yeah, yeah ever that word. Yeah. It really pushed me because I remember being 20 years old and starting out, you don't have much to work with except your brain. And when I started, there was no internet. We couldn't Google anything. You either had to build it, design it, make it or figure it out. So it really was probably the best, smartest thing I've ever done in my whole life. And again, I go back to that whole, don't ever say no to anything yeah. that pushes you because we're all scared to get out of our comfort zone. And I was worried my peers were going to give me a hard time or it would affect my business negatively. And they were all like, how did you have the guts to do that? And why would you do that? And I was like, why wouldn't I? You know, because like you were talking about, it's hard once you get successful and in your groove to want to jump outside and try something new. But it ended up benefiting me more than I could ever imagine because people got to see what I did. And I get the most wonderful messages and from people that watch the show and how they were inspired to use color, to think outside the box, to realize they didn't have to be beige, to layer patterns, to be a little more eclectic, interesting, that their home should tell a story. So the message I wanted got across and I got more back from it than I think I even gave. Yeah, well, I, for all those designers out there that are contemplating TV, what are some of your tips that you would give? especially since it was so much of a, you weren't prepared for it and it is kind of an ambush. Luckily on my side of things, they give you a script. Oh, no. <laughs> they give you some preparation. Oh, you have, okay. you do have rehearsals. I haven't done anything that's reality based. So like everything I do, it's completely different than reality shows in that way. And you're very aware of the camera because you want to make sure you don't look at it yeah. <laughs> or ruin a shot. Yeah. And then learning Sorry. all of that, but here's the deal with TV. I had never done it. You know, I, I give lectures and talk and do all that, but television is a totally different animal. And so many designers are like, Oh, that's my end goal. How did you get on HGTV? You know, which is like every designer's dream is to be on HGTV. And I, you know, I'd always thought, Oh, wouldn't it be fun? Um, yeah. But they found me, which I find so shocking. And again, it was by me starting in Arkansas. In Arkansas, they hand selected the seven of us from all over the United States. We didn't do any interviews. We didn't do any. We didn't submit. Um, they found us, and they found us because either of our social media followings and what we do. They found me because of I had started putting myself out there and winning awards, and they had read about me and started following me and what I do. Um, and my whole point to any designer wanting to do that is you can't try too hard because it's not authentic. Um, you have to actually put yourself out there, try new things because they're not looking for what they're seeing on TV. They're looking for what they're not seeing. So someone like myself, who, you know, is a middle-aged guy that does luxury, super high-end design with something new and fresh, everybody on our cast, I mean, we had a drag queen. How fun was that? Um, you know, they're looking for something different. And everybody that I see that's trying too hard, I think they're called thirst traps now. Uh, that, uh oh, he's into TikTok now. He's even got the verbiage. Watch out, but Urban Dictionary. I think when you lose sight of being yourself, it becomes really hard because that's not what people are looking for for print, for media, 
for television. And the reason they said they picked me is because the way I am on TV is the way I am in real life. And that's what they saw. And so I always tell designers, be authentic. Don't try and copy what somebody else is doing. Don't think because you are saw it on TV, that's what they're looking for because they're looking for what they haven't seen. So put yourself out there, be super authentic to who you are as your brand, um, as what you want the world to see you as, and don't try and be anybody else. And that's what landed all of us on this show. Is It was even so funny that they didn't plan it, but all of us were even different Zodiac signs, which we thought was so cool. We were like, we actually had one of every kind of person there was, and that's what made it fun. And we all became best friends. We still talk every week. Um, you know, it became more like a family and less like a competition. And yeah. I think TV, especially reality TV, they try and create drama, but there was none between us. So we all actually became tight like a family and friends and we encouraged each other. And that came across in the show, I think. And I think good television, good anything is about being authentic and, you know, telling the truth and just doing the best you can. So yeah, telling a great story. And, I, and a lot of people try yeah. too hard and I wasn't looking, you know, it's, I wasn't trying, it just happened. And I think that blows most people's minds. And I'm like, it happened because I'm just me. You know, you just have to do your, do you. Don't try and do somebody else that's already taken. Right. Yeah. And don't be the best kept secret. No. Because you put yourself out there. No. And it's hard. All of us yeah. hate to brag and we hate, uh, you know, because mm -hmm. it sounds gross. But you have to find creative ways to put your success out there. And, you know, luckily now through social media, it's so much easier because that's where they find most people now is through social media. But when you're doing those things, don't try and do what somebody else is doing. They're looking for somebody doing something totally different. And that's what I keep telling people because they're, everybody wants to be on TV and it's not, it's all not as glamorous as it seems. A lot of it, as you know, is a lot of work and a lot of time and a lot of hours and it's way more work. A lot of hurry up and wait. A lot of hurry up and wait. And yeah. you know, and then it's produced. It's not what you think it is. Television for me wasn't. I love it. I look forward to doing more of it. But it was a huge. What you see and what actually happens are two different things. So it was fascinating to actually learn and see how things are done. The process is what I love. So speaking of the process, what? Because for those of us who have only seen HGTV from this side right. as a viewer, <laughs> I, well, I've modeled a couple of things on their show. I guess that counts. And um, what do you think as far as like, cause I know that with working with design stars, a lot of times some of those design stars end up having their own show right. later on. So I'm curious for you, what kind of show do you, cause you notice white space. So what kind of show do you think is missing or what would you like to host or? Well, hopefully I can't say what's happening because you know, the world of television. Yeah. yeah <laughs> nope. And I don't like, don't tell me anything. They'll get you in trouble or prevent the job from happening because I'll edit it out and you can tell me off air. Just kidding. I don't want to be yeah, pulled into the NBA that I was <laughs> pitching. Um, Hopefully yeah. it will happen. It's called Oh My Goddard. And my last name is Goddard, O-M-G. Ah. Uh, wait, wait, wait. You cannot plan this. Oh, yes. <laughs> this is from my BuzzFeed days. Oh, yeah. I like that. That's yeah. um, but yeah. my whole point is I wanted to kind of do for design what Anthony Bourdain did for food. And that is travel the country and travel the world and shine a light on all the artisans and creatives that make designers like myself look good because one person doesn't create the whole project. There are woodworkers and metal workers and cabinet. So I wanted to find the best and the brightest and go in and talk to them and show how when you design something, how the creation starts, the whole process, and then the finale of how it gets installed. So that all those artisans have their little 15 minutes because I think everybody deserves the spotlight. And it takes, as you know, a village to make one person look great or one project look great. I mean, just to produce a show, as you know, it takes so many people. And to design a home or a building requires an army. And sometimes this one person gets credit and I'm big on everybody getting credit and sharing. I used to get in trouble on the show a lot because I always said we, because I speak in we, because it is a we. It's not just for me. And they're like, no, Chris, this is a you. And I'm like, no, it's a we. And they're like, no, it's a you. And it was a, a but it's hard because I'm a we person. 
that's my pronoun. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But it takes a village. And, you know, I really want to be able to shine a light on all these amazing, talented little artists and painters and creatives all over the world. So that's the goal. So. We'll see what's going to happen. I can't tell you, but good things are brewing. So we'll see. Well, I, well, you were saying that I was already like, there's a lot of different companies I've been following, especially with um, working with this, um, the Kaleidoscope project and there's different sponsors that they had. And so I started following all these different um, brands and so on. And some I had never heard of and right. there, I won't, you know, there's no freebies over here, but yeah. one of the brands, <laughs> um, they, yeah. they show making their wallpaper and I'm like obsessed. Like who would think watching paint dry would be so much fun, but it is like just seeing how they hand paint the wallpaper. Like, yeah. And so many of us see images on Instagram or social media of these beautiful rooms and mm -hmm. we're like, Oh, we want that, but we don't understand all that goes into that and all the layers and all the people that it takes to create one beautiful shot or you know this from yeah. filming that it takes a lot of people to make one thing look really good um, and i think those people once you know more about i mean the more you know the better you do or the better you design or the better you live so I, <clears throat> i'm looking at it more from an education point is i want people to learn all those parts so they appreciate their environment even more and that wow it took somebody to hand make this or all the different steps and the different processes that go into creating something because then you enjoy it more because you know more about it. Mm -hmm. it. It creates that client experience where they're more invested yes. at the same time. Yes, like, like, I know the person who painted my wallpaper right. or whoever right. um, it reupholstered my sofa or conversation yeah. or beautiful spaces start conversations. So I'm always, mm -hmm. when I design a space with the client, I'm like, Let's pick something that's really important to you that's going to tell the story. And when guests or people or family come over, it's kind of an icebreaker. They're like, how did you see this? This came from here. And then it opens a conversation. Like all things, design and spaces should start a conversation. And it's hard to start a conversation in a boring beige room. So I'm always like, let's, you know, it's like that beautiful painting you have behind you that starts a conversation. Yeah. I was like, oh, who did that? You know, and that's a good icebreaker. And it's great for people because everybody wants to talk a little bit about themselves or a little bit about family or somewhere they went or something that's important to them and then somebody can share. So that's what good design really is. No, I agree 100%. Well, tell everyone how they can keep up with you or any future plans that you can share that we can go ahead and start supporting as well. Uh, well, you're going to get to hear me with beautiful Camille and you can follow me on all the major social medias. Um, I'm at Goddard Design Group on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. So please follow along. We have lots of big announcements coming the next couple of months and lots of fun things and stories to share. So and we're also launching a new website in a few weeks, which is amazing. So lots of great things happening here. So Goddard Design Group, make sure you follow along. Done and done. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for being my guest. This has been such a great interview, and I love chatting with you. Yes, we'll do it again, and we'll do it on time next time. I promise we'll figure out the <laughs> See, again, my downfall, technology. <laughs> it's all good. Like, and on that same point, like I had it when the pandemic hit, I was working on radio. So I had to change my show to be able to do it from home because I have a daughter and virtual academy and all that wonderful fun stuff. So I had to learn. I, you were speaking to the choir. There's so many times I'm like Ugh, in the beginning because I was do I did a hundred interviews within like five months or so because wow. I was doing them every day. Like I couldn't say no. Like as soon yeah. as somebody would say, I'm like, yeah, how about Monday? How about yeah. Tuesday? And it, it just I couldn't believe that people were so eager to do it, you know. And I was like, I don't want them to change their mind or wow. maybe tomorrow that everything will open back up because it started because um, one of the publicists that had placed on Entertainment Tonight or had her client placed on um, Entertainment Tonight, she reached out to me about they're shutting down all in-studio, not Entertainment Tonight, the one with Mario. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Extra. Yeah. Or, or extra. Yeah. Extra, sorry. And um, she was telling me how they were closing all in-studio in and asked me if I knew any podcasts. And I was like... <laughs> Give me about a week. <laughs> and it took me a week to learn everything I needed to do to be able to start my own show. And I can't stop. Like, I just love it so much. So it's really fun to talk to. And I'm impressed you run on all that. It's hard. The technology part is difficult. <laughs> it is, especially when I'm, I grew up around um, like AOL. Right. Was, you know, you just had chat rooms was like the most exciting thing. Exactly. And then um, MySpace. I'll go ahead and date myself was the second thing. And so I'm like, 
I almost had my coding degree with MySpace when they canceled it. So I was like, I'm not investing in another thing. And with modeling and acting, they kind of up until recently, they never wanted you to take pictures on set and all of that stuff. So I never did. And so when everybody started posting things on social media, I'm like, you're never going to work again. You're, you know, (laughs) being that person and then realize, wait, I'm not working. (laughs) So that's what made me start getting into social media more. And I hated it at first because I didn't, like you said, it's hard to brag about yourself. It is. And you don't want to to come off as braggadocious, but at the same time, like how else will people know what you're doing if you don't post it out there? So there's a fun for that reminder there. And that's kind of the tightrope we all walk because you don't want to be too thirsty, but you want people to know, Hey, this is happening. This is happening. You know, shameless yeah. promotion is fun. You know, it's just the way you do it. Now, do you do TikTok? Okay, so I have it. I use it for editing more than I use it to actually post because I I feel like it's it's so intimidating and there's not much time. And I'm like, ah, 15 seconds. But now they keep increasing times. So I'm like, oh, okay, I have no excuse anymore. So but I spend more time scrolling because yeah. everybody's so funny and I don't drink. And so a lot of yeah, no, the TikToks are you know, drunken moms or drunken this. And I'm like, I don't want to keep looking at people. If your life's that hard, you should change it. Like it shouldn't take a bottle of wine to do your job or to be a parent or that's more on you than the kid. (laughs) So I was like, I was like, okay, this isn't giving me the kind of energy that I want. So I took a break from it and now it's so funny again. So I'm having fun in the dances and all of that. But can you imagine uh, being on television and then hand you a phone and say, make a ticket and you have 30 minutes. Yeah, I didn't no. even know how to do the editing. I didn't know how to do any of it. So I, t- I was trying to teach myself. Horrifying. <laughs> that was the- I go to webinars to learn this stuff. No, I don't, my teenager doesn't help me. <laughs> no, they just yeah. give me a phone. They're like, good luck. And I was like, ah. yeah. <laughs> okay, one last question. Because I was like, wait, five weeks without a phone? Like completely? Like you couldn't, um, no phone, no nothing? Um, at night, we got our phones back. Um, and then, okay. you know, we all had businesses to run. And on normal reality shows, you don't get your phone the whole time. But because they brought on all established designers, which was new, um, everybody already had a career. And we all had to do our, you know, our real jobs at night. So yeah, we would yeah. film until union stop at seven. So then we would do our end of day. And then we would all run back to our rooms and run our businesses for a couple hours and crash. Um, so, but at night we had our phones, but we weren't allowed to, you know, talk to anybody other than our offices. They really, you know, the NDAs are real and you're not allowed to talk about much of anything. So no, I understand. Yeah, they, there's nothing worse than a spoiler alert. Oh, I'm right there. Like oh. there's all these different spoiler alerts that are coming out for movies that haven't even made it to the box. Office. I'm like, well, I don't want to don't ruin it for people, but, but yeah, it was fun <laughs> for five weeks. So everybody's like, where? So that was fun. Then they were like, oh my God, you're on TV. And I was like, yeah, that was fun. So anytime you disappear now, they're going to expect great things on TV from you. So we all have to keep an eye. Next time he goes to look, the next time he goes to rehab, just know that he's going to be on TV. (laughs) You always have a great cover. Right, right, right. All right. right, Thank you so much. This has been great. And you have a wonderful rest of your week. Enjoy and have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Thanks. Bye-bye.